0: spirit um as best we can. Um, excuse me while I get this
1: started. The um the scripture
0: really clearly indicates that um well sorry forgive me. There we go. Um the scripture really clearly indicates There is something that he's doing at this moment in which he is causing us to be aware in ways we've not been aware. And I don't think for a moment that this means that God has not always been some of these things, but I do absolutely think that our uh, perspective of him is changing. Um, If you, um, you're welcome to look with me If you will, uh, if you'd like to excuse me, Um, but in Acts chapter 10, I find this to be one of the most fascinating things in our text Um, and Acts chapter 10 is a really unique story because essentially, first of all, what that says is in Acts chapter 10, we find Peter goes to the rooftop, as you remember, um, and uh, we don't know what exactly was going on but he was at Simon the tanner's house um so which is essentially uh what we would call a modern day taxidermist um and he was um up on the roof I don't know if he was working on his tan at the tanner's house uh but whatever he was doing um sorry that's poor joke but um but whatever he was doing uh certainly was something that was. God decided that that was going to be a divine moment and he chose that that specific moment um, to give Peter a vision in which you you remember the veil drops down the sheet drops down. There's animals there that are shown and this vision happens three times. The first time this vision happens to Peter, um, God says kill and eat and Peter says, no, Lord, I can't do this. Um, The second time this happens, um, Peter says, no, the scripture prohibits me to do this the third time Peter realizes this is God talking, and he actually begins to have an argument about what God has said with God kind of a unique thing and um, what this f- tells me first that I'm so perplexed by is that for the first ten chapters of the book of Acts, so acts is twenty eight chapters long so Halfway through Acts, and the only people who are allowed in are the
1: Jews. Do you
0: realize that the only people getting saved halfway through the New Testament book of Acts church are Pharisees and Sadducees? start with remembering that we have had a history of having a very, very exclusive gospel. Just called what it is. And so for the first ten chapters of Acts, everybody else wasn't allowed in. And God chose Peter um, to change this. Peter begins to argue with God. God begins to speak to him about essentially saying, I'm better than you thought. And interestingly enough, it's not don't let anybody tell you that it's because Peter has misread the scripture. He's read it correctly that he's not allowed to eat those animals. It's not like I I he misinterpreted a Hebrew word somewhere and he didn't have good he didn't have a good old strongs to be able to study like we do. And don't let anybody tell you that because the Old Testament was no good. The Old Testament was their bible. It's all they had. So that was what they taught Jesus out of. Paul never had the New Testament to teach Jesus. You know what Paul taught Jesus from? The Old Testament, because it was the only Bible they had. So Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter then has this exchange with God whereby he argues he doesn't really come to a conclusion other than the fact that I don't know what is happening, but God is, is seriously confused has already told us this we live by this rule for thousands of years now all of a sudden god changed his mind maybe or maybe i just had bad pizza or whatever has happened but uh, maybe the tanning fumes have gotten to me but he goes downstairs and immediately cornelius is there our servant of cornelius and you know the rest of the story the thing that's the most amazing about this text to me is not even the fact that that Cornelius is allowed in as a Roman centurion. Let me be clear. God doesn't start by expanding who's allowed to be in with people who are good people. He starts with the arch enemy of the people who are already in. A Roman centurion. This would be like today. God expanding the people of Israel, and the people um, of Israel being expanded, starting with a general of Hamas. It's a big deal. This is a big deal. It would be like, all of a sudden, us accepting, and, and think of whoever our, our, if we have an arch enemy. We really do obviously, we know no one can really compete or compare with America, but. If we could have an arch enemy, maybe Kim Jong-un, he's up there somewhere. Him being the first guy. I mean, it's a big deal. And so not only then does Peter have to come to grips with this, but God puts an exclamation point on it. Because in the process of saying these are the first people who get to come in, every other of the 16 evidences, when people accept God, when people accept it, the message of Jesus in the book of Acts, every other time, what happens, the process is they hear the message preached, they get baptized as confirmation of that acceptance, and their hearts are changed. They become disciples. This instance, while Peter is preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and his men, and they all start speaking in tongues. Only time ever. God knows that they're going to say it's not him. God knows they're going to argue that these guys aren't allowed. God knows they're going to argue that this is against scripture. So God, by his spirit, sovereignly comes down upon these men while the gospel is being preached as if to give his stamp of approval that all scripture must bow its knee that's drastic enough the thing that Peter presents to the Jerusalem council and they argue with him, if you read your scriptures it's actually six chapters later before they actually let him in because in Acts 15 they're still arguing about whether these guys have to be circumcised or not right so then they, they, the line moves a little bit that's how we do things, right the line moves a little bit, well they're in but they're not as in as we are.
1: Right? They can go to our schools, but they still have to drink from a different water fountain. We've got a history of this, don't we?
0: Women can be considered as equal, but they still can't vote. You know, that went on for a long time. You realize the number one issue with the 13th Amendment, the number one issue whenever they decided that they actually would interpret the Constitution, that all men were created equal in God's image, the number one issue was, and even those that were proponents of seeing them as equal, the uh, the the complete doing away with slavery, do you realize even they said it was laughable that they would ever allow? Scripture, you find God puts a stamp of approval on it. God chooses, God chooses to redefine Scripture, because as Jesus says, in, or excuse me, in John 16, there are many things I'd like to tell you, but you. serve a God who's changing we've got a we've got some issues if we serve a God who's mutating we've got some issues I, I I do not believe that God is changing I do not believe we serve a different God in the New Testament than we did in the Old Testament I don't believe we serve a different God after slavery than we did during slavery oh by the way the same people said that the Roman centurion could be and told us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that slavery was godly. Okay? So, either God changes or we do. And so what I'd like to talk to you about tonight is to really revisit um, a little bit of what we talked about Sunday. Um, I have no doubt Sunday may have been one of the most controversial messages I've ever shared. I really wasn't uh, – I, I would be lying to say that I wasn't nervous. about it. Um, I'd be lying to say that, um, that I didn't already have that message, the idea of that message, somewhat planned for a Wrecking Religion series, and I backed. Conversation with uh, with everybody. I'm gonna invite Pastor Bill to come. And um, sorry, this is hard. Uh, I'm gonna uh, uh, Pastor Bill and I are just gonna chat for a bit. Um, so this is kind of like the who is it, FDR that had those fireside chats. Uh, maybe it's a little bit like that. Um, and um, and so I w- I'd like to kind of throw it open to um, any comments that you have first, um, and then kind of discuss it take some questions here's the deal um and i did decide to facebook live this because since the message was on sunday i felt like it was unfair for this to not be i'm being honest with you um but um i I don't think that we're going to be able to go through and and address everything from genesis to revelation we can't at least we can't deny and you certainly don't have the endurance for it um but what i do know number one is that Separate from Him, we can never be separate from Him, and that any separation that exists is from our side of the table, and it is a um, it is a perception, not a reality. Okay, and the second thing I believe is any punishment or punitive type anger that has been perceived, whereby we think that God us by in anger in wrath if you will for things we do wrong or outside of his will is a wrong judgment from our side of the table okay i do not believe there is any um i do not believe my experience with god and frankly the way i read the scripture through the lens of jesus that it is founded to say that god
2: Look at God as a judge, and and it's it's a Western civilization thing. We all feel that you know we we enjoy the things that we earn, and we earn. We think of the good things that we earn, but then the the flip side of that coin is when we do something bad, we deserve. To
0: I understand what you're saying. So what you're actually saying is, if we now understand that we can't earn the goodness of God, are you suggesting that we, in turn, if the opposite is true, that we also can't earn his punishment? Right. Do you hear that? If we can't earn his favor, why would we think we could earn his punishment? If our actions positively don't earn his love, Throw it open for any questions. I've got a couple scriptures that I'm kind of locked and loaded for. Uh, um, I hope you know me well enough to know that before we shared this on Sunday, I I probably spent um, 150 or 200 hours studying. Um, I don't take these things lightly. I I just don't, and and neither neither does Pastor Bill. I mean, these are not things that we throw around. And and I also want to be really clear. I believe in sin, we believe in sin i am I, I don't believe that I am lessening the weight of sin. I believe i'm giving it its accurate weight because the wages of sin is death i don't take death lightly, maybe you do, but i but sin is what carries the weight of death sins is its own punishment. In fact, let's, let's think about the rest of that verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal. So let's make sure that we give credit where credit's due in that verse. Sin's credit is death. God's credit is the gift, meaning he gives it to us even though we don't earn it. of life and isn't it amazing that we throw around that verse I can't think of a verse that's more readily used when talking about our salvation and yet we still kind of mess it up don't we so um I'd like to throw around I'm sure somebody's got an Ananias and Sapphira in there I'm sure somebody's got a uh got a priest uh with the rope in there somewhere, so let let's uh, throw it open for any questions, and we'll we'll go for it. Ashley, go ahead. So we're supposed to view his image well and then transpose that into the image of creation or culture, what it pick, whatever. What we've done is we've done the, the reverse. We live in a very penal culture, right? Every action has a punishment associated or a reward associated, right? So that's, and, and there's some truth to that. I'm not suggesting that that's, not suggesting anarchy right I, I'm not saying that um, but the the problem is when we make God the judge then we are and, and we somehow believe that Jesus is, is our defense attorney we're pitting God against himself and we're pitting we're literally dividing the trinity which is heresy that's not just wrong when you separate who God is from who is the church has really clearly distinguished the people who founded our orthodoxy said that's not just wrong that's heresy you cannot be considered an orthodox christian and do that that's a big deal and you want me to take it a step further since i'm really on the toes actually are partnering with what I think is the most satanic thing we can do on earth. Why? You know what the word Satan means in every language? Accuser.
1: You know who we most readily accuse?
0: Ourself. But if we view God as... Somehow the, the enemy is his accuser. That's almost it's almost like God's on the side of the prosecution. He's the judge, but he's he and the prosecutor are in league together. And Jesus is just trying to keep everybody from frying us. But in reality, what then is it any wonder if that's how the church sees God and if that's how the church sees ourselves? Is that any wonder that that's how the church then sees each other and everybody else? satanic things Jesus says this numerous times. Jesus even identifies for us where God is in the crucifixion. I think we'll talk about this Sunday. But do you want to know where God is in in during the crucifixion? Because what we would think is that God is receiving Jesus offering and pouring his wrath out upon him to satiate his anger towards all humanity. Our sin is being poured out on Jesus And God's wrath is being poured out upon him And God's turning his back Jesus already has told us three different times Where God is during the crucifixion God is in Jesus Revealing himself As completely self-giving As completely self-sacrificing And in doing so Looking at those that are crucifying Jesus And saying, I forgive you So Jesus Is and God, they don't separate. It's not like Jesus is up there paying it and God is the judge that has required it. And in doing so, there's this thing where God's, uh, it is, we think it is a quid pro quo. God's wrath is being satiated by Jesus, so God has to come outside of Jesus. You can see where already there's heresy involved. God is then outside of Jesus having his wrath answered. No. God's inside of Jesus our shame forgiving knowing that even in the midst of that we still won't understand but he says forgive them and that's how jesus at the end says it's finished what's finished
1: shame and sacrifice
0: heard the story about and this is a big one because when you separate so, so how many have ever been told that that there is a measure where God is angry or gets angry anybody ever told that God gets mad okay cool all right good so it wasn't just me um has anybody ever seen the Old Testament passages to somewhat endorse that right and then we kind of make it like we we make it Christocentric and by that that just means Jesus in the midst of it in with the book of Revelation because for anybody that then says, in the Old Testament, God's really ticked off, but Jesus is love, you always hear that people try to play the revelation trump card, right? God's coming back on a white horse. He's got the sword in his mouth, and he's killing 200 million people, right? So we've already dealt with one end of that when we talked about revelation. Hopefully that was somewhat sufficient, but uh, I don't suggest that it was all-encompassing either. But let me be clear. Um, I heard just recently um, saw a blog post of a pastor and he was saying um, he was using preaching about God's holiness and how he was actually suggesting this is really wild, but he was actually suggesting that the only way that God can hear you is is. So what he was saying is because God's holy, he's separate from humanity until we until we've accepted Jesus. I said, so hang on just a second. So you mean that God, the father is somehow unable to hear us until we are we've accepted Jesus? He said, well, absolutely. There is no mediation, but through Jesus Christ. So you mean to tell me that God's ears are plugged until you've said Jesus come into my heart? And he used the scripture, how many have heard this, about the priest who they had to wrap a rope around to send him into the Holy of Holies. Has anybody ever heard that? Please don't take my word for it. Go home. Study it. It's never found in the Bible
1: once. you
0: don't believe me please go home and study it never one time do you know the first time it was mentioned that priests had to wrap a rope around themselves so they could drag them out because god strike them down you know when it was mentioned the first time the 14th century in the 14th century there was a jewish historical book that was written about practice for the priests and this priest mentions this practice Everybody agrees that this isn't accurate, and everybody agrees that if it is accurate, that it was something that could have been done as, a, um, as an add-on years after, years after the Bible. We're talking 14th century? This is years after the Bible. Do you know the only thing in the Bible that even alludes to the idea that God would strike down one of his priests due to his holiness when they were in the Holy of Holies? is the fact that on their, in Leviticus, it does indicate that on their robes were bells. Okay, We then read into that text what by some preachers speak, because believe me, I've preached that verse. Don't you go into the Holy of Holies. Don't you go into his presence with sin in your heart, because just like he did with the priest, he'll strike you down, and we'll have to drag you out by your ankle. Guess what? It preaches real good, it's just never there bells on their robes and i do believe the bible does indicate that there were bells on their robes and they would hear them as they went into the holy of holies but do me a favor don't just use the, uh, the bible you start with the bible but there's there's look through history because i cannot find an instance ever of a priest being killed by god's holiness One. I thought I found one. I got really excited. I was going to call Pastor Bill. I thought I found one, but it, was, it wasn't that time that God killed the priests. It was that time that we killed the priests. Because if you look, there are instances of the Old Testament where the priests, remember the sons of Aaron that weren't such good guys? They were messing around with the people from Canaan. They go in and kill them, but then they killed the woman, and she was pregnant, killed her and the baby, and said God was pleased by this. The gods were pleased by this. This was shortly after Mount Sinai. So you don't find the priest ever being killed by God for their unholiness, but you certainly find the priest being killed by people for their perceived desire to honor
1: God's holiness.
0: So here's a really interesting thing. When you get a chance, um, and there's and we don't have enough time to, to really go through this. Um, I enjoy this, but you would all be like totally worn out with this before I would ever be exhausted with it. So the first thing is um, when you look through the scriptures, um, there is always clarity about things that happen. Um, but it is very clear. It was always very cultural to think that the gods were doing something. So if it didn't rain or if there was famine or – because you do realize that our religion was not the first. Like the Jewish god, Yahweh, was not the first. Please make – I'll say that again. The Jewish god was not the first religion. These people had, had spent years and 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 years, years in pagan religion. Before Yahweh ever showed up. The problem is. They then would import their perspective. Of everything they knew about how God's worked. Into these stories. So while I'm not going to say. That God didn't send fire down from heaven. And and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The Bible doesn't really clearly say that's what happened. How many people have been told that God killed in in Sapphira because they lied to the Holy Spirit? Yep, me too. The Bible never says that.
1: Never. In fact, it almost
0: goes out of its way to not say that. Read Acts chapter 5. It says that Satan filled their heart, and it says they died. It never says that God did it. We, we suppose that God did it. It does say they lied to the Holy Spirit, but it never says that God killed them. So let me ask you this. If your whole entire life, if you've spent a thousand generations uh, or a thousand years and generations being told that when bad things happened, it was because the gods did it. And then now you meet this new God, when you start writing a story about this new God and bad things happen, how do you think you'll write the story?
2: to the point that God is all love.
0: That's not one that I really looked at specifically for this. I, I will. We're actually going to take probably two two services and go through a bunch of these Old Testament passages and really deal with some of these. But I do know that within that, um, sometimes perspective becomes really important. And I do want to be clear. I do want to be clear. I'm not suggesting that bad things don't happen. Okay. But let me give you a different perspective for Ananias and fires, And I, I, I'm not I'm not um, skirting or trying to go around that, but maybe you'll touch this a little bit, too. So Paul is really clear. In fact, um, multiple times well, you can just turn, you can write down look there. Uh, Romans chapter five. Numerous times when he when Paul goes through in Romans chapter five and over and over and over and over again is describing the vengeance or the wrath of God as defined in the Old Testament. Remember the time that the earth opened up and consumed people because they had had withheld, right? Remember that? So Paul is defining all of that. And you know what he does is really interesting. He says, don't let any man think this is the wrath of God, but it's the destroyer. And then he does a really unique thing that I had never noticed. He then goes on to say that three different times he mentions this. That what can happen is there are times when God will give us over to our own sin. Okay. Let me just ask you or let's remind one another. What is the penalty of sin? What is the wage or the reward of sin? where it does get tricky and i don't have the answer for this i'm really comfortable not having this answer frankly i would i would encourage you if i ever act like i have this answer just don't listen to me because there's some things we just shouldn't know right and i think our doctrines get messed up when we act like we do but i think that when you look at that those passages I do understand it's a challenge to think, okay, so when does God remove himself? Are you saying that God has all power, but then God pulls himself back? I think that when in our hearts, much like Ananias and Sapphira, because we get in, I, one of the things I was studying about that, and everybody's arguing about whether they were Christians or not. That was the argument, is whether they're Christians. Because they were saying, why would God strike them down if they were Christians? I think we're having the wrong argument. The wrong argument is it says Satan had filled their heart. And at some point, what Paul indicates is that there is this thing where God actually allows us to feel the consequence of our decision. Let me make it entirely clear. Sin carries punishment. When you go against the grain of his love, it's going to cut you. It's not because he's cutting you. It's because you're going against the grain of his all-encompassing love. To, so to those who stay under and within the grain of his love, it's going to feel like the warmth of his embrace. And to those who fight against it, it's going to feel like his fiery wrath. And so maybe in that instance with um, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, maybe there's there's something that happened there, you know, because it preaches really good, but maybe there is something that happened within his heart And because I, I just don't see it that way. Paul goes out of his way to define that that's just not the case. says it was lightning. Here's the thing, how much did this thing weigh? If it falls on you, what do you think's gonna happen? Let me be clear. I know I'm walking on some really sensitive I there are, I'm I'm please direct all emails to Bill Speckin at <laughs> gmail.com. But, you know, I get it, that's hard. But you're right, Dustin. Uh so recently there was a pastor in Connecticut. Okay. Um this pastor gets up at the pulpit um, and confesses to adultery. He'd actually been having an affair with a woman in the church, and while he's standing there he confesses, he falls down dead. Okay. Now, does that sound something like Ananias and Sapphira, or does that sound? I, why am I forgetting the, the name of the guy that was killed by Uzzah? Uzzah that's right. Thank you. Um, that was that was killed by the Ark of the Covenant. Um, what they what they actually found was that the guy he had heart disease, he had a heart attack. Now. Maybe the stress of that episode because his wife had caught him in an extramarital affair certainly increased the risk of that heart attack. But it would be if we were writing that story in an age where we saw the gods as capricious and punitive and angry, how would we have told that story? This is hard. I know I'm touching some things, but even so another thing. So Romans chapter five. um, So when we read Romans five, eight and nine, one of the things that's really interesting, too, is the writers also did a little bit of this stuff where they just maybe took some liberties. So um, as an example, uh, when you're seeing here. It really goes all the way through, I guess it could be goodness, even through verse 13, when it's talking about the wrath of God. It mentions this three different times. The thing that's fascinating is, of God was added.
1: It's not in the manuscripts.
0: You know, be careful because of the wrath of God that will come. Guess what the wrath, another word for the wrath of God is? His love wrongly received. punish people for partaking of them. All. And, and I know you're not saying that, but I want to be clear to everybody that would hear this. The suggestion is not that God, because God didn't kick them out of Eden. God did not drive them out of Eden as a punishment for them breaking the rules. God protected them from eating of the tree of life and living forever in their brokenness. And in the same way, sin carries its own punishment. They had an idea there was this thing and and who knows how it came about I don't know I, I genuinely don't know but I do believe that there are many 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 times in fact Jesus even talks about this so he says really clearly let me define to you the way that Satan works and the way that God works Satan comes to kill steal and destroy John 10 but I am come that you might have what life and life more abundant so that should be you know in the study we use a word called uh, the word hermeneutic just means lens hermeneutic means lens for how you see things we all have a hermeneutic we have a life hermeneutic sometimes our hermeneutic is e or ish right oh bother you know oh pity me you know sometimes that's our hermeneutic you've been around people like that but we have a hermeneutic to how we read the scripture oftentimes we allow that god is wrath hermeneutic to override jesus we should actually do the opposite. We should allow Jesus to be the ultimate hermeneutic because that was how God revealed himself. So we should read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, not Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament. I,
2: I just want to take a crack at the, yeah. the cart thing. Yeah, go for it. When we, you take know, a crack at the, cart. <laughs> the uh, you know, originally the Philistines came in and they took the Ark of the Covenant. the cart and chase it back in, send it back out, and then They were
0: worshiping in the best way they knew how. Right. Yeah. Well, and here's, look because let me be clear. Do you realize that sacrifice was never God's intent? In fact, numerous times, Hosea says this, Isaiah says this, and it's spoken of David, of all people. When he really saw God, he said, Sacrifices you don't require. This is the guy that killed animals. What every six paces, yeah. sacrificed animals. But when he got a clear picture of God, he said, "You don't require sacrifice. You require my heart." Are you so? You realize that was anti-scriptural. But sacrifice was the best thing they had. And the fact that God, was is another sermon for another day, but God had already moved people forward because the thing they were sacrificing before they were killing animals was their firstborn children. That was the natural sacrifice. So God was already moving them forward by saying, don't kill your kids. Don't kill your children. Well, Don't kill your children. That they would sacrifice animals. Was God already moving it forward? Why? Because let me remind you, they, we, I shouldn't say they, because we're all part of humanity. We couldn't get how much he loved us and that he wanted to be with us. So he was trying to start with, don't be afraid of me. So all through the Old Testament, he was always trying to get us to just not be afraid of started with that in the garden whenever he came to them and they were hiding and he said why are you hiding from me and they said well we hid because we were ashamed and we were afraid he said why why are you ashamed and afraid we were afraid because we were naked so then guess what he does to show them that they have no reason to be afraid he makes them naked again he takes off the fig leaves that they had made to expose their nakedness to show them that there's no need for shame there's no reason to be afraid Yet they still couldn't get it. So all through the Old Testament, you have a thousand, however many thousand years of trying to figure out that God was never uh, something to be angry of. He was never angry. He was never angry with them. He was never anything to be afraid of. And so that's why Jesus, in fact, even before and after the resurrection, what was the first thing that Jesus says to them after the resurrection? Peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. say, I love you. I've always loved you because we weren't going to get that. He was trying to start with us where we were because he's so good. He recognizes our brokenness and he wants to start with shame and fear. And then knowing once we can get that measure, then we step into his love and perfect love. So he had to start with just don't be afraid of me. Let me get close enough to you so you can feel my perfect love and know that you've been beloved the whole time. You've never been separate the whole time. And then when you embrace your identity, maybe then you'll see that I've loved you the whole time. But we were so scared of him, we wouldn't let him get close enough to show us that he's been loved. that I can answer in a fully encompassing way. It is death in that it's the opposite of what Jesus came to give us, okay? Jesus came to give us life. Now, if you wanted to really, see, this is getting my juices going, and I've had some espresso, so I better just chill. But um, so what you would then have to really do a deep dive about is how the Jewish people saw death. Because we serve We serve a savior who came in a Jewish culture and we read from a Bible that was written by people with Jewish culture and understanding. So we almost have to start there to get it right. I'm not saying we need to become Jews, but sometimes our our culture messes with the way we read the Bible. And so their perspective of death is different than our perspective of death. And I would suggest to you that it is death in that we're not. Not death in that in that you die physically necessarily. And I also would quite frankly push back a little bit against the separation from God thing because here's the thing. Nothing can separate you. And just to be clear. It's either something that's been created or it was never created. The only thing that was never created is God. I hope we all are good there, right? Okay, so when Paul gives the list of things that can't separate us from God, he says anything that's been created. Nothing that's been created can separate you from God. So hell in the afterlife what we've determined as punishment after we die is either uncreated, and that's where the Eastern Orthodox and some of the early church fathers actually taught that hell, heaven and hell was the afterlife inside the heart of God. Hell was where we had the restorative opportunity to make things right in his heart. I'm not suggesting that's what I believe, but I am suggesting that it's a really interesting thing to think that hell is either Created or uncreated. If God created it, even it can't
1: separate us. So, death.
2: Focus on that consequence and let that rule our lives. You know, we empower that consequence when we dwell on it, when we move forward in him and we live in truth. Yeah. The, because the
0: uh, the and we've got to be done because I want to honor Tosh being back there with the kids. Um, but I, I want to say this. So here's where it gets. Here's where the beauty of the gospel is so cool. The beauty of what Jesus did is so incredible because he redeems that. soon as i get saved if i like destroyed my credit that all of a sudden i have good credit again and my bank accounts are full no of course not but it it certainly does mean that sin carries its own punishment he doesn't punish us and so what happens is if we'll allow Saying, you're beloved and you've always been beloved. And within that, he redeems even the consequences of sin. Because here's the thing. There is judgment. We believe that. We confess that in the creed. When we read that together, right? That everybody's going to be raised unto judgment. There is judgment. And judgment just means to restoration. And so he's restoring us. So if you choose for in whatever consequence or post Christ to reject the restorative work that he wants to do in your heart then you carry with you the consequence but when we allow him to do that restorative work that he always wants to do that's when he gets to turn that consequence into something beautiful that makes sense it is a beautiful thing and he does turn those things for good he just does He is and so and within that he does all these other really cool things where he does protect us and there's miracles that are associated all this other stuff where he's just working in the midst but at the base level nobody gets away with anything because I know that bothers people when we talk about how good God's love is they're like oh so somebody can be doing horrible things and then God loves them anyway they're just getting away with it no 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 no. it's not what I'm suggesting nobody gets away with anything there is judgment we all have to either embrace Restorative work or reject it. And to those who reject his restorative work on earth, that is hell. When you
1: reject your identity as beloved, that
0: is hell in its own way. When you reject his love, that is hell in its own way. So, We'll probably do this again, Um, so please, I apologize if we didn't get to any questions you had. I'm so sorry, Um, but we'll do our best to to address that Um, uh, in the upcoming weeks. Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, and we're going to maybe address a couple scriptures that I think might be helpful. Um, And over the next couple weeks, we're just going to continue to probably try and have some dialogue about this kind of stuff because I know it's not – Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at HarvestHouse.org.